Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Uh, tonight's kind of a special edition of the show here. It's our uh, shit author say episode. <laughs> so uh, to kind of explain that a little bit, um, in honor of the shit author say reading, which is going on simultaneously, like as we're recording this, there are a bunch of authors um, reading stuff in Kansas. Mm-hmm. Tonight we're reviewing two books, Flashover by Gordon Highland and Praise of Motherhood by Phil Jordan. Uh, they're currently at the Czar Bar with Caleb Ross, Brandon Teets, and a host of others. And they're actually going to be doing another reading um, on the 26th um, at Prospero's Bookstore. Okay, we're going to start out with Gordon Highland. We're going to talk about Flashover first. Here's a little bit about Gordon. Gordon Highland is the author of the novels Flashover, which we're going to be talking about tonight, and Major Inversions, as well as short stories appearing in such publications as Warmed and Bound, a Velvet Anthology, in Search of a City, Los Angeles in a Thousand Words, Nefarious Muse, Colored Chalk, and others. He lives in the Kansas City area where he directs videos by day and enjoys writing, recording, and performing music by night. If you are a listener of the show, you'll know that Gordon's been on a, a couple times in the past, and uh, we have talked about Warmed and Bound and In Search of a City, Los Angeles in a Thousand Words, the, el- the anthologies that he's been published in. So, um, and we're really lazy tonight. So what we decided to do is uh, we actually have a synopsis from Gordon's interview back from the Warmed and Bound sessions last year. So here's Gordon to tell you a little bit about Flashover. So you did mention your next novel, which I believe is Flashover, right? Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Now this I'm excited about. <laughs> Isn't everybody excited to talk about their work in progress? <laughs> Basically, the, uh, the synopsis is this guy... Um, small town fellow is uh, roofing a church one day, re-roofing a church and his pow- his ladder comes in contact with a power line and it kills him. And, uh, he's, he comes back after like seven minutes of death and he's, uh, very scarred and he's completely deaf and he's, uh, convalescing in the church rectory. The priest takes him in cause he's racked with guilt. And, uh, so he's living there recovering over a long period. And during that time he meets, uh, the love of his life, this very angelic, kind of perfect, ideal woman and her daughter, and they form a very fast, intense relationship. And then what happens is uh, she just vanishes one day, and the, the second half of the book is his his search for her, basically. So a lot of times we've seen people with these abilities be sort of that reluctant type, and he, and he falls into that as well, like that uh, Clint Eastwood movie, Hereafter. So this time it's personal. That's sort of the different spin on it that I did. I know that sounds terribly cliche, but it works in the context of the book because he has to embrace that and uh, try to you know find a different part of himself to sort of navigate uh, a depraved world uh, to find these people. And the, the thing I did uh, is it's two narratives that converge. It's his story and her story, and they're all going on at different times, and you get about three-quarters away through the book, and they climax at the same time. So that, that's the story of it. I, it should be out hopefully next uh, spring, April-ish. Very cool. All right, and that was uh, Gordon Highland's synopsis of his book, Flashover from his uh, interview we did from Warmed and Bound last year. Uh, really good, spoiler-free introduction to the story. The synopsis that's on Amazon's a little bit different. It goes into kind of a more storied detail of it, but I like the way that Gordon introduced it because it's a very, you know, it's like a guy telling you what his story's about. Yeah. Also, um, I liked it so much that from now on, we're just going to have authors record their own synopsis and send them in. Eventually, <laughs> we're going to automate the show. We won't even have to be here. That's right. Yeah, we'll just uh, we'll we'll record the in betweens, and just throw mm-hmm. the clips in there. Yeah. 
So there you go. All right, so let's talk a little bit about uh, about Gordon's uh, story. Uh, to kick it off, the uh, main character is uh, Toby Moore, who's uh, suffered an accident um, and has this uh, really interesting um, kind of, I don't know if clairvoyant is the right word, but kind of a clairvoyant ability. Yeah, so he ends up being somewhat of a, a medium. It's weird, though, because it's kind of a mundane uh Ability. It's not like he could see the future or anything. He just kind of sees stuff that's already happened to people when he makes physical, like you know, contact with them, like grabbing, touching their hand or something like that. Uh, which which makes his life after s- surviving this pretty bad electrocution a little bit interesting, because local people uh, and police officers and stuff use him to try and figure out details of of things that have gone down and stuff. So not only does he suffer this great, you know this great uh, injury electrocution thing. But then a- after that, instead of just trying to quietly gain his life back, he has to kind of go through this kind of weird process of, of telling, helping people with their lives and stuff. So a little bit weird. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's very weird. That's all I really, one of the things I really liked about this book, Toby's personal story in this, his personal narrative is, is all about um, Sarah, not with an H S E R A. Um, and her daughter, who is somebody he's formed a, a very significant relationship with, and uh, he wakes up one day and she's gone. The cool way that the book is structured, so throughout the book you're seeing the story from Toby's perspective, and then it'll jump to Sarah's perspective. Like you could see some of her past and stuff like that, and it'll jump back to Toby. You know, different parts of their lives, and it kind of goes back and forth between them. But as the book goes along, it reaches a point where like it all comes together, and then the final... Like the finish line of it is is like uh, is the two stories kind of you're looking at them at the same time and it all kind of snaps together. So the way he did that, I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, it plays it plays with time a little bit, um, much like the last book we reviewed, uh, the Croning, where it kind of goes back and forth. Um, but it was handled in such a way that I didn't have any trouble. And, and I know I mentioned this during other books that kind of flip back and forth in time. And I think you have two that kind of have trouble mm-hmm. following it. I didn't have one ounce of trouble following what was going on when from, from the way he was able to put this together. So something that sometimes works and sometimes doesn't at best, you know, I say, Hey, it worked really well, although I had a hard time kind of keeping up with it. Um, in this case, I didn't have a hard time at all. It was done very, very well. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I've liked about the stuff from Gordon I've read is that it's very clear. There's a clarity to what he writes where he writes everything in a way that it's it's easy to understand. He's he's very meticulous with his words. Um, you can tell that he puts a lot of thought into the way that he says stuff because um, there's never a point where unless unless he's being intentionally vague, it doesn't seem like there's really a point where you, you just don't know what he's trying to do. It's a nice segue because we should probably get away a little bit from the story because I'd really hate to spoil this. I think you need to read it and kind of have it unfold as it unfolds and not know too much about it to get the full impact of the story. Um, but, man, it's some clever writing, some clever and really funny at times writing too. Yeah, I've definitely got some passages that um, we'll, we'll talk about with quotes and everything. But I agree. Like the way that Gordon writes, cl- yeah, definitely very clever. Um, like I said, he's just really careful with his words. Um, he didn't. He didn't slop this together. It's obvious that he either either he put a lot of thought into it, or he's just naturally a really clever writer. Um, to the point where, at some points, I, I mean, my only criticism 
and this really isn't a criticism because I still enjoyed it and it didn't detract from the book at all, is that it seemed like it was maybe too clever for the situation. But I mean, otherwise, it's a very comfortable read and it's enjoyable because um, it, the, the way he writes, um, it doesn't just tell you what you need to know. It, it like it paints a little bit more of a vivid picture, I think. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And that's that's kind of what I was getting at by saying it was just clever. It was just it was done really well and and descriptive enough without without seeming descriptive mm-hmm. Stephen King can go on for pages with, with a description of a location and it seemed like I got the same ideas from Gordon in a much much more compact form Yeah, you know, he, that, that, you know, a great author like King will take pages to do the same thing so here's a, I, I have a I'm going to jump in with a quote just because um, this really exemplifies that like clever it's, it's a clever way of writing that makes um a lot of it, it packs a lot of image into a small amount of words. Um, <clears throat> really quick line it just says, His reputation is both self generated and perpetuated. I mean, that's a real level, that's like a whole layer of a character in nine words or whatever. It, it so that, that's kind of the style that the book is written in. He also has one of my other favorite parts is he has kind of the, the kind of like bumpkin cops. He said that, you know, he helps the police with with some with some of this stuff. And and those two guys are written in that. God, I almost got that feeling like from uh, like Boondock Saints, like, like the like the cops <laughs> that, you know, what I'm talking about. Just mm-hmm. that kind of like like you really can't can't find their ass with like a map in two the, hands. You know? The symbology guy. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it just it's it's done so well. And, you know, where his writing is really intelligent in other parts, he manages to write those guys dumbed down just enough that they're th- that they're funny. Mm-hmm. You, does that make sense? Like yeah. you, the le- the writing level changes to, to accommodate those guys. And there's another character. And I can't think of his name now. Um, uh, that he, Yes. Tweed that he does that with um, mm-hmm. as well, which I thought was kind of kind of interesting. The way, yeah, a lot of really concise uh, descriptions that 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 do the do the story really well. It, it, yeah, it was a comfortable, very easy read. One of the things I need to actually ask Gordon is his uh, his choice for names for characters. Um, I actually sent him a message after I started reading it because he uh, the, the main character's name is Toby, and it, but it's spelled T O B E. So for the first, I don't know however many you know pages I was reading, this is Tobe. Yeah, thinking it might be short for Toby. So, but then he makes this reference to um, uh, the the priest in the book, who's a friend of of Toby's, refers to him as um, uh, Toby Wan Kenobi. Yeah, or Toby Wan. And of course, so I said, I said, hey, is this pronounced Tobe, like robe, or rhymes with robe, or something silly like that, or is it, you know, Toby like Toby with a Y? And he says, yeah, that's why I wanted to make sure that he was mentioned in the story that you know he calls him Toby Wan. Um, to give people that idea. But he did the same thing with Sarah and did kind of the odd spelling, and that came up a lot in the book. So I'm kind of wondering, do you have any thoughts on why maybe? Oh, yeah, I got a whole thing about Sarah. You're, I'm gonna, are you ready for your mind to be blown? I am so ready. All right, so Sarah um, is spelled S-E-R-A. He's like, so she, to, to Toby, is like uh, this person, this woman that he really cares about, and he has a, you know, he has a real big place in his heart for her and her daughter and everything. And without spoiling too much, you could tell he just cares a lot about her. And, um, and also they kind of the meeting place, and this doesn't spoil anything either is, um, they're both kind of crashing in this, uh, 
like I guess what is it a rectory? This um, mm-hmm. this church has like a like an extra uh, living space that um, they're kind of down in their luck, and so they need some help, and this church lets them stay there, and that's how they they their lives cross paths. So that's the setting. Sarah is spelled S E R A. Now in Christianity, um, seraphim are a type of angel, and there's and it's spelled S E R A P H I M. So, or seraphs, I guess S E R A P H. I think it's the name S E R A is a play on her being an angel in in these guys in in uh, in Toby's life. I uh, I let you go on with that. But yeah, right after you started talking about it, I was like, I know exactly where he's going with this. When you said, yeah, you know, the backdrop where they meet is, and I go, oh, it's a church, Seraphim. Yeah, I've got it. I've got it now. It's it's all there, which probably would have made a lot more sense about <laughs> while I was reading the book. I hate it when these things happen to me. <laughs> they are the caretakers of God's throne, continuously singing holy, holy, holy in his celestial hierarchy. Yeah. Did you actually just pull that off the top of your head? No, it's um, on Wikipedia, of course. The uh, <laughs> steadfast uh, source of all real truth or whatever I said last time. Been very, um, I would have been very impressed. Yeah. Nope, nope, I'm not that good. But um, yeah, so that naming, the naming of Sarah, I picked up on early on. And um, I thought it was really appropriate, especially for the setting. I, I, was, I was like giving Gordon a, a little mental thumbs up for that one. Oh, and you know what? Her last name is also um, Phelps, isn't it? P-H-E-L-P-S? Yes, Phelps. When you said S-E-R-A, I think it's P-H, and I was like, I oh. think Phelps. Yeah, which further goes on to... But also Phelps being the... Because she was raised Southern Baptist. Um, oh, yes, because someone makes the comment about, is she involved with the Phelps? Because of Westboro Baptist Church. Right, so, that's right. Yeah, it all ties in. That, that Gordon's a clever guy. He is. All right, and in the interest, obviously, of not spoiling the mo- the movie, <laughs> in the interest of not spoiling the the book too much, we really can't talk too much about the details of the story. But um, what would you say if you had to throw this like in a genre or kind of put it with other books? Um, it's kind of an odd story. So where do you think it would land? Oh, that's a good question. It's you know it's certainly part mystery because you know he's looking for for Sarah. Um, but it has a, you know, and obviously there's, there's a, I don't want to say romantic because that always just conjures up the way wrong book whenever I hear that. So there's a definitely kind of like a love story there too. The thing that I kind of got, the feel I got most from this though, and I don't know how many people have seen this movie, but the movie Brick, um, Brick which oh. came out maybe 10 years ago or so. Mm-hmm. I know you're a fan, so you probably know a little bit more about you know, who directed it or, or, or whatever. But um I had that feeling from it. Now that was very obviously a high school like noir film. So I don't want to say that this was high school or, or, you know, whatever, but that was the kind of feel I got that same kind of disjointedness that was in that, you know, just kind of, I don't know how to explain it, but I kept thinking about that movie as I was reading this book. Yeah. It's like the guy who loses the girl and tries to get her back. Um, but definitely a noir Definitely a very crimey noiry, not really crimey, but like no, a gritty, yeah. more of a gritty noiry feel to mm-hmm. it. Yep. Um, yeah, I'll agree that's, with you. That's not to say that I think he, you know, he's even seen the movie Brick. There weren't very many similarities, you know, but just that overall feel was was there for me pretty much the whole time. Yeah, yeah, it's in the yeah. I, I agree. Um, I and honestly, like, I, I felt a little bit of like a dermaphoria, Craig Clevenger kind of feel to it because it's kind of this. Uh, 
right. again because like you know in Dermaphoria the whole story is him trying to find um, you know this lost love kind of thing and the stuff he has to you know the weird stuff that happens to him and, and stuff while he's going through that so I got kind of the same feel a similar feel to that yes no Yes, I agree. <laughs> I, I, I didn't thought. I, but when you said during four, I was like, "Oh yeah," like it didn't occur to me. But yes, I can see definitely where where that comparison could happen. Yeah. What do you think about doing wrap ups and quotes and stuff? Um. Yeah, I think we can do that. You want to kick it off with some quotes? I'm. I'm sure. I'm sure you have a dozen quotes from this book. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of them. And see, and and I know you probably have the intelligent ones because I went with kind of the funnier ones. Yeah, so um, I already did a couple that I thought were pretty cool, but um, I'll do a couple really quick that just kind of give you a feel for the way that he describes what's going on in scenes. And and, uh, this first one is um, on page nine, so it's really in the beginning. Uh, He slithers off the mattress, grumbling consonants. And um, to me, I just thought that was pretty cool, the way that he he said grumbling consonants. I never would have thought to describe something like that, but it made a lot of sense in my mind. Oh, okay. Here's, Here's a... This one's a little bit longer, but um, I just thought this was clever as hell. Not in like a... I'm not even going to explain it. I'll just go into it. This is about a paragraph, so bear with me. After the commercial break, the trustworthy haircut looks up from the news desk into 100,000 local living rooms. His lacquered head ticks at practice intervals to mask typewriter eyes locked in sync with the prompter. A graphic sweeps into position over his shoulder. Yellow crime scene tape framing illustrated hands daisy chained together in support. Extrasensory Police extrudes in a 3D font from its ESP acronym. The anchor cites the popularity of shows like their network's very own Small Medium at Large, which follows tonight's newscast in stirring public demand for the infusion of the procedural with the supernatural. The thing that's funny about that is the Small Medium at Large he goes on later to explain is um, is a, it stars a, f- a fugitive clairvoyant dwarf. <laughs> so that title was just... Uh, Pretty hilarious to me. It's one of the things is his uh, his wordplay, um, much like that small medium at large, um, is uh, is prevalent throughout the book. And like I said, he kind of mentions you know, he does the the Toby Wan Kenobi, and um, one of the things I liked was uh, and I'm not I'm not even we'll consider this a quote. I don't even really have a quote, but um, people refer to so Toby Moore M O H R is his last name, but people start referring to him as the Moracle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because he's able to help them um, through problems and, you know, and finding things and all kinds of weird, you know, things that he's able to do with this sort of, uh, you know, clairvoyant ability. So that's going to be my quote. It just says that, you know, it says that that's why we call him the Moracle. But yeah, I guess it's not much of a quote because I have to explain it all for one word. So. Okay, this next one is a, is a conversation between Toby and, uh, and Sarah's uh, daughter, Daisy. To me, I thought it was a it was a it was a well written dialogue from a child, so that's why I thought it was uh, noteworthy. And it's um, Daisy and Toby are talking about I think toy ponies or something like that, or wanting ponies. But here it is. Okay, so she uh, Daisy asks Toby if Jesus had a really had a pet dinosaur, and Toby uh, says he didn't, but he thinks he could have if he wanted to. And this is so it starts off with Daisy's reply, because Tyler draws pictures of him riding one. And them playing together and stuff. But Mrs. Ross said, nuh-uh, so I bet he's just a dummy or a liar. Well, your pony there is green, Daisy. Do you think these are real things? 
This is just pretend. Her eye roll said that she was no fool. She used to be silver. Jesus walked a lot anyway. I think he might have ridden a camel sometimes. She lit up. I want a camel. They smell really bad and can be stubborn. A girl camel, then. <laughs> Brilliant. That girl camel part? Oh, yes. I just loved it. I agree. Um, this other quote we both had, so we actually had to do a little bit of editing here because <laughs> I begged Rob to leave me this one. Um, it, you know, it's just a really quick one. There's not a lot of setup involved, but it, it goes to show not just the hardcore intelligence of the writing, but how funny it can be when you really look at it. So it's funny, but it, just in a very dry way. So he's um, he's talking about people walking out of um, out of the casino. And it says, they're lightened wallets defied physics, weighing down their shoulders and dragging their feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just fantastic. And like I said, really intelligently written, but then just goddamn funny on that kind of like higher level of humor. Yep, absolutely. Um, I'm not going to do any more quotes, but I do have a couple things I wanted to point out um, that I thought were kind of like subtly clever or just kind of fun. Um at one point, and I guess I'll just have to talk to Gordon directly. Uh, there's there's a lot of musical references because Toby, before his accident, is a musician and a you know local man that's popular enough or whatever. Um, so there's a lot of musical references and talk about music throughout. And at one point, um, he was talking about the band opening for another band, and he said a band who sang about fishing and cheese, which is totally a throwaway. But um, anybody who's a fan of the band Primus knows that there's a lot of songs about going fishing and stuff and and there's an album called Sailing the Seas of Cheese so I'm going to have to talk to Gordon and see if that's um, a subtle reference to the band Primus or not but that just popped out at me because I'm a nerd like that the other thing I wanted to mention was uh, <laughs> on the, like uh, towards the end of the book um, he's actually got a double contraction in the, in the book um, he says at one point, uh, he's talking to, to the police, I think, and he says, they've, you know, like they have. But then he corrects himself to y'all of, like y- y'all have. So it's Y apostrophe A-L-L apostrophe V-E. And um, I haven't seen a double contraction in a book since, like, Lewis Carroll. So uh, big props to uh, to Gordon for bringing back the double contraction. The y'all of? Y'all of. <laughs> Which sounds like it would be good on a pizza. Yeah, it would. I'll have some yellows on that. As long as they were green and not black. Anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> let Sorry, I cl- didn't, have, didn't have dinner tonight, so <laughs> my mind's on pizza and olives, apparently. All right, do you want to give it your wrap-up here? Sure. I mean, I said most of what I, I've had to about the book already. I think it's very thoughtfully well-written, very clever. And I like the story. I think everything was really good. Gordon's definitely passionate about what he writes you can tell that like he's creating something in a very careful way and he wants to deliver it in a way and you know he he tries to make it the best he can so that's definitely comes across in the book and and i really just enjoyed it it was a great story it's a love story there's some mystery there's some fun twists in there and it all worked really well together so i'm gonna go four and a half for this one here's what i've got um the story was very engaging and it really kept you on your toes because there's really it's hard even when you're reading through this book to see where it's going. You know, with most books you read it and there's really like, you pretty much have a clear path of what the, uh, you know, what the obstacles are and what the protagonist is going to have to do. And with this story, I honestly, I, I mean, I know the basic setup is he's got this, this ability 
He needs to find his girlfriend. That's it. But I could not put this story on a path as I'm reading it to, to figure out where it's going at all. So, I mean, it kept me really, really interested and intrigued in that uh, in that fashion. Um, again, kind of echoing Rob, clever writing, very funny, engaging story. Um, fairly unique story, I think. At least to me, it came off as very unique. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm right with you. It's four and a half stars. I could have had it be a little longer. It, it felt a little short. You always say that about books. I know, <laughs> I know. And I, I thought, but you know, okay, so does that make it not right that I say it about every book? No, it's just what you want. It's an yeah, opinion. Pretty much, yeah. I don't know what it is. It's like when, and, and it's, here's, here's the problem. Only when they're really good do I complain about them being too short. Yeah. Some books <laughs> aren't didn't. short enough. You didn't say that Fifty Shades of Grey was too short. No, I didn't. I did say it was a quick read, but yeah, I didn't say it like, yeah, that could have gone on for a little longer. No. And that's the problem, I think, is that I get vested in these characters or in a storyline. And when it's over, I, I kind of feel jilted. So there you go. I feel jolted, Gordon. Hope that makes you feel better. All right. Well, uh, like uh, Livius mentioned earlier, we do have two books we're going to be talking about tonight. So we're going to talk about Phil Jordan's book, Praise of Motherhood, as well. And a little side note, um, in addition to being authors these guys are both musicians that are in their own bands so the opening music that you heard was a a song by phil jordan's band uh, paris and the hiltons and we're going to be ending out the episode with a song by gordon's band winebox um one and actually at the reading tonight to kick off the evening um before the authors started doing their readings actually winebox did a little bit of playing uh to open up the event so also gordon uh provided a little bit of music i think for when we were doing our warmed and bound sessions and he did the op he did the trailer for the book the dude's just very prolific but uh yeah be sure we'll we'll put some links to check out their music and stuff at least like their facebook pages both these guys they're like authors musicians you know what do we get we do a podcast yeah and that's like too much work for us <laughs> yeah. yeah but neither one of those guys have a podcast that's right yet. so yeah come talk to us when you're actually doing a podcast guys right so uh, <laughs> tell you guys a little bit about uh, Phil Jordan uh, Phil is an author musician translator and columnist from Portugal living in the UK in 2007 he formed the lit rock band Paris and the Hiltons their latest album reading journals is based on the work of William Faulkner of which Jordan is a big 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 fan his memoir praise of motherhood revolves around the hardships his late mother endured trying to cope with her aggressive adolescent son he recently launched perfect edge books a publishing imprint Oh, yeah, he's a publisher and a musician and an author, too. Yeah, he does all that. Yeah. Um, he probably speaks, like, seven languages, too. Yeah. World um, Traveler. Yeah, World Traveler. Yeah. yeah. Here's a little bit about the book itself. This is the synopsis that we pulled off of Amazon. When Phil Jordan's mother died suddenly in 2009, she left behind a legacy of kindness and charity, but she also left unanswered some troubling questions. Was she, as she once claimed, a spy? Had she suffered more profoundly as a woman and a parent than she'd let on? Jordan's recollections of his struggles with psychosis and his reconstructions of conversations with his enigmatic mother form the core of this memoir. Psychoanalysis, poetry, and confessions all merge to tell the story of an ordinary woman whose death turned her into a symbol for extraordinary motherhood. All right, I'm going to call a little bit of a shenanigans on the, on the synopsis. So if you take out... That was she, as she once claimed, a spy. <laughs> I think it's a perfect synopsis. Um, and when, while you're reading that, I'm listening to this, and I'm, I'm thinking, like, there's way too much intrigue in that one line to kind of <laughs> fairly represent what the book is. But to be fair, 
mm-hmm. it is something that is addressed in the book, like yeah, in multiple points. And so like, how could you not put that in the synopsis? Like, I just you- like, like, like you did that. And I started picturing like this, like James Bond desk and I've read the book. You know, so you yeah. said that and I'm like, this has got to be a really interesting story. I was like, wait a minute. No, I read it. It's not, that's not an interesting story, but it's like, well, and, and that's we'll the thing. We talk a little bit about it. Yeah. I just thought that was, and I'm not saying that's an embellishment. I actually just think that it almost detracts from, from what the book is. Yeah. I can, I can see why you would say that. So I'm not calling out the other way. Like it's trying to be something it's not. I think it almost is, is an overmention. Like it overshadows. Yeah. Um, I can see that. So um, a little bit about the book. That synopsis really tells you everything. And, and it's definitely a memoir. So there's not, we're not going to be able to talk about plot and characters and everything like that. It's just, it's a straight up memoir. And it's, and it's like, to me, and I think I'm just going to dive right into like how I felt about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just this, like this way of dealing with the fact that he lost someone who meant so much to him. So it was his way of processing this loss. And, um, and I think that's what Livia said about the spy thing rings true because the book is just packed with such heavy emotion and, and, and feelings about the crazy shit that happened when he was younger, that the spy thing is almost like, um, like a secondary thought. It's not something that's very prominent, I guess. Is that fair? That's exactly on point with, with what I was saying. Yeah. What, you got some thoughts? Um, yeah, let me first start for anybody who isn't uh, an early listener of this, of this show is, um, I don't really like nonfiction. So, (laughs) so this, so this book already kind of had, you know, and I try to be fair, but if it's a memoir, it's nonfiction, which means it already starts with a strike against it. So, um, yeah, I, the thing I liked about this was in it, even being a memoir and being about his mom, so much of it was this kind of introspective look at himself and what felt like a very honest look at um it says here in the in the synopsis was um sorry it's not in the synopsis it's in his bio it says um revolves around the hardships his late mother endured in trying to cope with her aggressive adolescent son it just seems very honest about you know how tough he may have been to deal with so it being a memoir about his mother i think a lot of it's just a very introspective look at himself too during that time yeah, and and that's the thing that that packs such an emotional punch. And um, uh, not knowing him personally or having seen him growing up, I'm just going to take this at face value that you know the things in the book actually did happen or happened near enough to how it's described to be considered, you know, like a legitimate memoir and everything. Um, it's like like Livia said, it's very starkly honest about looking at your biggest flaws, you know, and how much of a burden he must have felt to this person who was just like endlessly kind and, and, you know, caring for, for someone who was really difficult to, to deal with. So, I mean, right there, that's just like the, the rawest kind of emotion. Yes, absolutely. I agree. And that's kind of what I was trying to say is that it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's honest from that standpoint. It doesn't feel like it's, it's embellished to make himself look any better. The other thing that I guess every time I see a memoir about parents, it's always about the father and the really shitty relationship they had. Like my mm-hmm. father was a drunk and whatever. So it's kind of refreshing to see and or read something that, that took a different look at parenthood and saying, you know what? My mom was really this great woman. I agree. You know, versus the 
these were my troubles growing up and what I had to go through. It's almost like this is what my mom had to go through. Yeah, exactly. That's what so it's like. Kind of yeah. the flip side of what I expect to see in a in a uh, you know this is a you know a, a parent child relationship memoir. Yep, that's a really good point. Um, and I hadn't really thought about it like that, but you're very right because like memoirs typically are like this is the shit I suffered through instead of this is the shit I made someone suffer through. So the book, I mean, it, it spans like you know uh, his life from you know childhood being with his mom all the time to, you know, in school days and stuff where, like, uh, he's actually sent away to not boarding schools, but, like, you know, prep schools or whatever they are, like, far away from his mother, like, in another country. So there's this distance where, you know, he becomes, you know, really emotionally attached to women and stuff, uh, to gir- to girls, to girls in his class. And and all this and and he feels like if i remember correctly that he just can't tell anybody about these things that he's feeling or going through um but at the same time he's having all these like you know emotional problems and it sounds like like it says dealing with psychosis and stuff like that so obviously he's got this crazy shit that he's going through and 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 it boils down to you know him having to get kind of bailed out by mom over and over again um but it's never anything that she gets fed up with the other thing I wanted to talk about, especially now in in uh, retrospect with what I started this off with, um, his mother may or may not have at once, um, you know, uh, been a spy. So uh, although I didn't like it mentioned the way it was in the synopsis, I thought it was a great part of the book and added like this whole other level, which, you know, can analyze like the things we don't know about our parents. Um because I just think it overshadowed the synopsis, but I thought that was that was great, and some of my favorite stuff um, in this book came directly from that one sentence. And out of boredom, it seems like so. She was a teacher, like she was a, uh, and I think even the teacher being a teacher was sort of somewhat out of boredom, but like um, the family was well to do, so she was you know taken care of um, and didn't need to work, but just um, was by herself, and so needed something to do if I remember correctly. And if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. I apologize. Um, and so did the teaching kind of as a thing to do and then kind of rolled into meeting these people who, yeah, kind of enlisted her to be a spy. So I think she just did it to have something to do is what it sounded like in the book, which is even more fantastic than the fact that it, you know, she may have been a spy at all. <laughs> now I find that kind of stuff kind of <clears throat> always really interesting. Like, I, I know myself and I think I know you well enough to say that like if you didn't have to do anything, you'd probably do exactly that. Nothing mm-hmm. like you could fill your time with you know reading books and watching movies and, and you know, uh, sitting outside and having a cup of coffee. You know, people go bored. So, you know, I don't need to, but I think I'm going to work just to have something to do. And it always just stuns me because I keep looking forward to that day where I don't have to go to work so I can just do nothing. Yeah. And that whole in service of your country thing doesn't really float too much with me. I love my country. I don't know. I mean, I'm as patriotic as anyone, I guess. I don't like talk about it, but you know, that wouldn't be something that would entice me to do something crazy like being a spy. Yeah, that sounds kind of dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> so, any rate, it's uh, it's as Rob said, a couple things I want to address. So, as Rob said, it's very hard to talk about a memoir because there's no. Yeah, there's no underlying story. There's no, you know, it's just not structured like uh, like Flashover or like any other of the books that we've reviewed. There's not 
a beginning, middle, and end necessarily to the story. Is it's kind of a, a look back at somebody that was important in uh, in Mr. Jordan's life. So, um, the other thing I want to mention is Rob apologized for not remembering. We did read this quite some time ago, um, but uh, it very recently came out and became available. So we're reviewing it now. Um, so yeah, and unfortunately, my notes. Um, I had a tablet issue where uh, I had to restore my tablet to factory settings. So all my notes were lost on this, and I'm kind of shooting from the hip here. Yeah. So um, I don't really have quotes. I mean, this is – it seems weird to, to give quotes because usually quotes like – to me, quotes are, you know, to, to kind of demonstrate the ability of someone to craft something, to, to create something. And really with a memoir, it's just, you know – the the testament here is like your ability to tell things that might be difficult to to share about yourself or to share about your family and and I mean there's no question that he did this really really well so I, I don't think quotes really really qualify I, I guess for the review what I will say is and I know Livius doesn't read nonfiction too much but um, I've read a handful of memoirs here and there and um, I guess the closest I could think of and this is going to be Maybe a little cliche, maybe not, but um, Augustine Burroughs did Running with Scissors, and um, the guy's entire literary career, pretty much, except for one of his books, I think, is just memoirs, whether it's short stories or, or you know, full book, full length books and stuff. And the dude just writes memoirs, and I mean, he wrote about all the terrible shit that happened in his childhood. He wrote about his alcoholism and his drug addiction and going through all that stuff. So, you know. I think that if you had read Augustine Burroughs and and um, liked that level of, of intimacy that you get from from seeing into the weird shit that happens in someone life someone's life, this probably would be a book that you know it's in that vein, um, but it's just it amps up the emotion like tenfold. Yeah, um, and this is the first memoir I've ever read, and to be honest, the only other memoir on my list is uh, Rick Springfield came out with a memoir last year. That's on my <laughs> to be read list. That's really all I have to say about memoirs. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, do you want to kick off wrap ups then? Um, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> Again, like I said, this uh, just being nonfiction, it started, uh, you know, w- with a strike against it. But I found myself fully vested in in uh, in Phil's words and in his relationship with his mother. And even though it's not structured in the style that I'm used to and, and you know, necessarily really enjoy reading. Um, I found it was just very touching and that I was surprised at how into it I was able to get being based on the fact that it's not fictional, that it's about a you know very personal relationship that, that he has with his mother and all these things that normally would not pique my interest even a little bit. Um, so uh, that being said, I, I'm with her. I had more notes and like I said, I apologize. This was a couple months ago that we read it and I know I wrote some fairly diligent notes on things, but um, the gist of it is this for something I didn't expect to like, I did really enjoy it and I'm going to give it four stars. All right. Yeah. I mean, I think I said the biggest parts. Um, Jordan just wrote something that was just very, very deeply honest and very, very emotional. I mean, the emotion in this is just insane because like, and I was thinking about this a lot um, after reading the book and having lost a parent, um, thinking about how that feels and, and knowing that there's that void and knowing that your relationship is just kind of frozen in, in the point where they pass away because there's no way you can change it now. It is what it is. Um, like, I really kind of identified with what he thought and, like, the way that he had to process feeling 
like he had been this burden to someone that he he cared so much about and everything. Um, yeah, just really, really starkly emotional, but a great read. And and to me, it was like I think the biggest part of it it is it, I mean it's the title, it's praise of motherhood, it's it's a tribute to someone who, you know, despite the flaws of the people that were in their lives, were just always like an incredible you know benefit to to the people around them and so um just a, it, it's fantastic for what he wanted to do he did it so well um so yeah i'm going to give this four and a half stars as well man that's two book reviews in one episode that's right all right so um we are currently in the middle of a giveaway that we're doing um we mentioned on the last last episode and if you follow us on twitter at least at this point you've had your uh, some opportunity to enter but um we're giving away unaccustomed mercy by db cox uh, it has been released digitally um enhanced with three new stories that have been added in there um and the cool thing is uh we're not making it exclusive to kindle users if you are a nook user or uh, need an epub because you're reading on your ipad or whatever um, we also have those. So if you're not following Booked Podcast already on Twitter, what's wrong with you? What are you waiting for? It's at Booked Podcast. Um, and then don't forget to also like us on Facebook. We're facebook.com slash Booked Podcast. Um, uh, retweet for Twitter. Share on Facebook. Um, we'll give you an entry for each one. So do it soon. We don't have a drop date on this yet, but I'm getting the feeling it's coming up shortly. That's right. And speaking of giveaways, uh, we are partnering still with um, May December Publications for their for the giveaway promotion that they set up uh, going between May first and December fifteenth. Where um, uh, what you need to do is read a May December Publications book, go on Amazon, uh, leave a review for it, and then comment on your review saying you know book sent me or whatever. Um, you'll get entered into their promotion for a giveaway and then uh at the end of at the december 15th end date they're going to choose one person to receive uh 12 may december publication books in uh in uh 2013 one a month so make sure you check that out we've got some instructions on bookpodcast.com uh if you heard you know forgot everything i just said so check it out there Hey, one more thing that I don't think we mentioned previously is, you know, this sounds like a like a money making thing, you know, like, oh, people got to go and buy a book. These guys, May December is giving away like a free book pretty much every weekend. So if you just go ahead and like them on Facebook, um, you'll be up to date. And I, I'll be honest, I picked up three or four books already for free from May, December, just by, you know, through their their just regular like, hey, it's free this weekend kind of thing. So, yeah, so pick it up, review it. Pick it up for free, review it. Maybe you'll pick up some more free books. You're just perpetuating the free. Yeah, eventually you may never have to pay for a book again. Just what every author and publisher wants to hear us say. Huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so what else we got going on, Livius? All right, so last week we teased this a little bit. Um, on our last episode, it was really, really big news, like the day we were recording about uh, Anthony Gian Gregorio and his Living Dead and Open Casket um, presses. Um, a lot of things about just his mishandling of, of authors and changing, you know, titles of stories and, and you know, editing main plot points and, and all much to the disgust, obviously, of the authors themselves. So um, <laughs> we have had some contact with authors who published with Mr. Gian Gregorio, um, one of which has become a very frequent guest here on the show. Uh, David James Keaton's ZBMB was published with Open Casket Press. Uh, and David agreed to come on and tell us a little bit about his relationship with uh, with Tony G. David, thanks for coming back onto the show. 
Hey, thanks for having me back. So uh, we already mentioned to our listeners a little bit about the uh, the alleged shenanigans that Anthony Gian Gregorio has been uh, has been up to with some uh, some authors, and you've had some exposure yourself. Would you like to tell us a little bit about your experience with the now infamous Tony G? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've had um, had some run-ins with him, Tony G. Yeah, so you guys, um, he's got he's got his fingers in a lot of pies. He's got like what at least three publishing houses. Undead Press, Living Dead Press, and Open Casket. You guys knew that, right? I knew. Um, I knew there were two. Yeah. yeah, he's got three of them, and um, you know the the quality seems to be all over the place. There's some really good stuff, and there's some terrible stuff, and there's some stuff that seems to be just his own stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess the the background of it was um, ZB and B is Open Casket Press, and. Uh, I had uh, I'd originally written um, a parody of Deadliest Catch, like a zombie version of it, where they're bringing up dead bodies instead of crabs. And because uh, I used to close caption that show, so I had all this Deadliest Catch knowledge, <laughs> and I was working on the story Greenhorns for probably uh, probably like two months. And um, you know, I targeted a place where I wanted to send it. And it didn't get in there, so I guess I was uh, feeling like let's just send it anywhere because I worked on it and I wanted to see it in print somewhere. So I Googled zombie books and uh, found this horror carnival was the name of it. It had a good cover, good cover art, you know, judge a book by its cover. So I figured, fuck it, and I sent it to him. I figured if it got rejected again, if it gets rejected three times, then I usually revise something. But this is where this is where it gets weird. Is I send it out hours after I've sent it out. Now, hours later, he calls me. <laughs> like he makes a phone call because it's my information's on it, just like a typical submission. That's how you do, you know, the regular submission format. And he calls me up and he's talking a fucking mile a minute. He's like, "Oh, I really like this, and uh, uh, I don't, I don't want to waste it on this anthology. I want to put it in this uh, zombie anthology. You know, zombies are my bread and butter." I turned uh, I turned two dollars into four dollars. We'll, uh, we'll put it we'll put it in a zombie anthology because uh, you know Bing Bang Boom. I put the, I put the zombie things on the street and I made that's how I make my money. So let's just save it. And I'm like I don't want to save it. I don't want to like <laughs> you know a bird in the hand kind of thing. So I said no, nah, just put it in this horror carnival. I really like the cover. <laughs> <laughs> you know who knows what the other one's gonna look like. And uh, so he says. Uh, well, do you have any other zombie stuff? And I had that ZB&B that I had, um, you know, originally was in Deadcore, and then these guys in Louisville were forming Bunyip Books, which they've still not really gotten off the ground because of some personal life-changing events, but eventually this Bunyip Books will exist. So at that point, it was an e-book, and it sold like under 100 copies on Amazon, he said, I'll take it. I'll take, you just take it down off Amazon and I'll put it in print and, uh, you know, we'll make a bunch of money. In. So <laughs> that's where I, that's turn, what turn $2 into $4. Turn $2 into $4. <laughs> it's, it's his bread and butter. So, uh, so yeah, that's where it started. And, um, and then this cavalcade of horror or terror, I'm sorry. It was one of those ones where he put it on Facebook. He had a call for submissions and he said, uh, because I was his Facebook buddy. He since deactivated all his accounts. He had 
three Facebook accounts for each of those publishing houses, and then he had his own name. He's deleted all of them. But that's how he would do his call for submissions. He would send them to people he knew, and he said, you know, we have these two couple slots left in this cavalcade of terror. Do you have a story? And I had a story from undergrad that was one of the most irredeemable things I'd ever written. So I was like, I'll send that to him. I don't give a shit. And again, it had a cool cover. I don't know if you've seen the the book in question with that sort of Lovecraftian tentacle thing sucking on some guy's head. That's yeah. probably his two his two good covers. So I thought, all right, I'll send that. And um, then all hell broke loose. And I, I get done grading papers and everybody on the internet's talking about this guy and how he fucked up their stories. And so... That's how I got involved in it. So here's the odd thing. I, uh, in, in doing our you know, diligent research, as we always do on this podcast, um, I came across just a ton of stuff from last year. And if you look them up, you know, you'll find these blog posts. And some are well over a year old of people who have just had like, bad experiences. And I don't know what it is about this particular story that broke last week that really put him over the top. But I mean, you know, Neil Gaiman's talking about him. Jonathan Mayberry's talking to him. This, is, this isn't just you know, a small group of like, well, horror he, writers that are that are doing this. This has made it to pretty mainstream guys. Yeah, and I had I had done some cursory investigation of the guy, and I actually did find people slamming him online. But the way I looked at it is, I figured I was suckering him. You know, I'd already published <laughs> this thing twice. So, if, and he actually he, he forgot that I, that we had talked about it being published already. You know, he told me to take it down off Amazon. Right. And then he calls me up and says. Hey man, I just Googled that story and that story is everywhere. You know, you guys fucking reviewed the story. So he's like, that story is everywhere, you know, and I just feel like uh, a lot of smoke and mirrors here and uh, I don't know what you're, what you're up to. And I'm like, dude, if you look back at our emails, if you think back to when I talked to you, uh, you knew all this. <laughs> like, well, that's, that's possible. You know, that, that's possible that, that I did know it. Um, it's just, you know, I didn't realize that it was out there and uh, I'll call you back. So... Then he's like, well, I'm going to move forward with this anyway. I've already worked too hard on it. <laughs> so I'd seen all this stuff, you know, Tony sucks uh, forums. And I thought, well, it, if he does even a tenth of what he's saying, I'll have a print copy of this book. That's our, like I said, it's already been published twice. So I figured the worst, worst case scenario is, you know, it doesn't ever occur. You know, it doesn't come out. I didn't realize that he had this tendency of messing with stuff and not telling people. Now, if I knew that, then I wouldn't have, uh, I wouldn't have rolled the dice cause I wouldn't have wanted, you know, attached to my name. And I totally understand why these people would be furious about edits without him clearing them. And, um, so yeah, that was, uh, but uh, one of their gripes, I, I wanted to clear this one thing up and I, I, there must be a case of he's doing things to people and he's not doing it for others. He sent me a contributor copy of that book. I don't know if you guys remember on Facebook, I have put a picture up of a pizza box, and I said I got my contributor copy today. Yes, you guys, you <laughs> I actually remember? do remember that. Mm-hmm. That that was his. That was he's. I mean, that's kind of a, a low rent way of sending a contributor copy, but it's funny. <laughs> and he he did send me one, and I think that probably this girl Mandy DeGeit, is that how you say her name? I, we think so, yeah. We weren't really sure when we mentioned her last week, but yeah, I think that's it. I think he probably thought, she lives in Canada, I'm not going to bother. And uh, I think that's why he didn't send her anything. But then I've seen other places where people are saying, we didn't even get a contributor copy. So I think he just picks and chooses. I think 
He's a little and inconsistent. What's that? He's a little inconsistent. Yeah, or he's out of pizza boxes. <laughs> <laughs> or sometimes it'll say, um, I'm not paying contributor copies for this book, but I've got extra copies of Living Dead Press titles. You want one of those? <laughs> that's, that's what he had on Facebook. He's like, I'm paying for this one a little different. So <laughs> I'm sure that there's 10 different ways he does things. Um, but I did get a copy of the book, so I wasn't really, I wouldn't have done it unless I got something out of it, you know. Now, now two, two questions for you. H- have you thumbed through it to see if it's still your book? And the second question is, from all the edits that have happened, do you remember if it's your book or not? <laughs> are you talking about ZB&B? Are you talking yep. about the Cavalier? ZB&B. No, ZB&B. ZB&B, um, I did go, th- see, he claimed that he hired a third party to edit it because he said he had started it. See, and he has this problem with uh, present tense, and we went back and forth with that. And I said I wasn't going to change the present tense in it because I did change that with Greenhorns. He said, you know, I, I'm just, you guys with your present tense, I'm not a big fan of that. And so at the time I thought, all right, I'll change it. It wasn't easy to change it, but I changed Greenhorns to, you know, past tense. But ZB&B has to be in present tense in my mind. So mm-hmm. we argued, that was like three phone calls right there. He's like, I don't understand why you kids want to do that. <laughs> well, apparently he runs into this all the time. So you were only he, in your in his mind. You were only going to turn two dollars into three dollars. Exactly. <laughs> well, there's 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 two clues. He refers to, to people as you kids, and he still uses the phone for communication. Oh, that's a, that's. I remind me to tell you more about that. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot more about that. So uh, so yeah, he uh, he's got a problem with the tense, and then um, you know you guys have read it. It's it's. It's not his typical thing, and I don't know what he expected, but by the time he got done with it, he was confused by it. <laughs> he wanted, he tried to talk me into changing the ending, and he settled on an afterword where I'm supposed to explain it. Do you guys have a yeah. hard copy? So if you look at the afterword, that's me sort of transcribing our phone call and making mm-hmm. fun of it. Because yep. he calls, and he's like, you know, I just finished it, and uh, I get it, but I don't get it. But I mean, I get it, but I don't get it. Can you, uh, can you change the ending? It's like, no, I'm not going to fucking change the <laughs> ending. And he's like, well, can you just put something at the end and be like, but they're all zombies. Uh, or, and I said, tell you what, I'll do an afterword or something where I acknowledge this conversation. He's like, oh, okay. So then I sent him <laughs> what's in the book, and he just sent back, because when he emails, he emails three words, tops. It's when you're on the phone with him when you get all the information. And his email was cute. Fine, I'll put it in. That <laughs> was his whole email about about the afterwards. So I assume he realized it was making a joke out of that request. You know, <laughs> can you explain it? And I don't explain it in the afterward. But so that was one of the changes that almost happened. And so I rifled to the end to make sure that he didn't change it. The last line there was uh, he didn't want it to be I bite. He wanted it to be I will bite because it's there's a sort of um, there's the idea of whether the things in the last mini section are happening now or whether he's wishing they happen. But I didn't want mm-hmm. it to be. I thought it has to be two words because earlier in the book, or earlier in the novella, he talks about uh, the shortest title ever is um, would be I bite. Therefore, I am. You know. Mm-hmm. So it has to. It has to, you know, speak to that. So I didn't want to change that. So I was worried that he was going to because he was really pushing that. But he didn't change that either. Now, I've gone through it and I've looked 
and I haven't found any changes in ZBNB. I did find changes today in uh, Cavalcade of Terror, though, which I'll go over in a second because those are <laughs> those changes are hilarious. But as far as he didn't change in Greenhorns, he changed one word that I didn't want him to change, but I didn't know. And I I think it's because I heard a story about how somebody had the phrase "takes a piss." You know the British phrase. Mm-hmm. You, you take taking the piss, mm-hmm. and he changed it to um, taking a piss instead of taking the piss. So he changes things where he thinks he's fixing something, but he's not. And that's what he did in <laughs> Greenhorns. Where um, do you guys know the? Uh, have you guys seen that video of the girl singing? She's like a little pageant child singing on a talk show, and they slow it down so it sounds like she's drunk. <laughs> no. No, I've not seen this. Well, it's around our household. Sometimes we sing that song. And uh, there's a line in it where she seems to say snuggle and guggle, which makes no sense. But when it's slowed down, that seems to be what she's saying. So I wanted to put that in the mouth of one of these zombies that they're pulling up out of the water (laughs) and story greenhorns. And he changed it to snuggle and, or no, he changed it to snuggle and gurgle instead of guggle. Anyway, he changed it to make more sense. But he didn't ask me about it. And that's where, you know, but I read that and I thought, all right, he probably thought I didn't mean to say snuggle guggle because that's a pretty inside joke. But whatever, you know, slightly disappointing that my inside joke didn't stay. But I thought, why didn't he ask me about it? And I didn't really. Then we moved on to the ZBNB stuff, so I didn't really dwell on that. But ZBNB, the title's different and the print didn't. Oh, the fucking right? title. Yeah, that, I'm not happy with the title. And that was, I agreed to that. Because he said, people are going to Google the word zombie. We'll sell more that way. Trust me. If you don't like it, you know, maybe we can figure something out. But at the end of the day, he said that like a million times. I don't trust people who say, at the end of the day, (laughs) that's one of his big phrases. At the end of the day, the contract says, you know, that I have the right to do that. And so I, I want us to be okay with it. But, you know, it might happen anyway. (laughs) So that's way out (laughs) You got to look to that $4. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, the uh, title put Zombie Bed and Breakfast on it. But then he agreed to put um, the regular title on the title page. And then, but he wanted Zombie Bed and Breakfast on the spine. Like, there was, it was a lot of conversations about it. So I do think a third party, because he sort of got confused by it with all the, I don't understand what's happening, but, you know, I think it's good. I think that he gave, he gave it to somebody else to look at. I think that if he if it would have been a simpler story, if it wouldn't have been this, you know, quote fest, postmodern mess, that he would have been more apt to put in his own two cents. So it confused him enough that it saved the day. I think. <laughs> so I'm looking at the page for ZBMB right now on Amazon. It says there's only five left in stock. Do you think uh, Tony G has just dropped off the face of the earth and there may not be any more ZBMBs or any more of any of his press's books? I don't know. He, um, you know, he goes back and forth on this, on what he's going to do. He sent an email to everybody saying uh, Cavalcade of Terror was canceled. Then it showed back up. It did, you know how when they cancel something, it sort of lingers on Amazon. It just says not in stock mm-hmm. or it says use copy $100 or whatever. And that was there for a couple days. And, you know, I've started following these threads because I was very curious about the stuff, you know, blown up on him. And uh, that Mandy DeGuyte said, 
good news, we got the rights back to our story, um, or to our, and uh, he's taken down the book. You know, sorry to all the authors who had a story in the book. So I went on Amazon and, and saw that it still said click inside. So I did the click inside feature, and it pulls up the table of contents for a Kindle version, and the table of contents had already been changed. Hmm. And he had put, he had added one of his own stories instead of hers. <laughs> And he already had a story in there, so that means he had two stories of his own. And the one that he added was called Morgue of the Dead, which is probably the most redundant title ever. <laughs> and, uh, but nobody realized this. And, you know, you, you saw on those uh, blogs and those websites, there was like 400 comments on each of them. Nobody oh, yeah. seemed to, nobody had clicked on that and saw that he had already changed it and that he had every intention of putting it back out. They were all celebrating that they had made it go away. And you know that in his mind, he probably thought, I'll never get an intention like this on a book again. There's no way I'm not. Gonna yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I put a note on their Facebook post and said, you guys should go click uh, on the look inside feature. And you might notice that he's changed the table of contents. And then that started another, you know, three days and 600 comments as they tried to figure out what he was doing. But he, there's no way to figure out what he's doing because he does it every, he changes his mind every five minutes. As a frame of reference, um, if, if you actually click on his uh, name anywhere on Amazon, it pulls up 138 results. So I didn't cross-reference any of these to see if some of them are paperback and then there's a separate Kindle page or anything like that. But 138 books he's involved with on Amazon. That's a, yeah, that's a pile of $4 bills. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, at the, at the end, I want to tell you one more thing and then I'll tell you how he, he's recently broken up with me because... Um, I finally lost my patience with him, but, um, and you know, it sucks because when you see everybody piling on somebody, I don't know about you guys, but my first instinct is, well, usually the more people that agree with something, it's got to be wrong. So maybe I kind of feel sorry for him, but in this case, you know, I don't, you don't want to be the person that joins the, the uh, internet outrage, you know, because that's, it's not usually it's not usually right. It's usually the a race to the bottom. But today I did because we didn't have this broad or this uh, recorded last night. I had more time to look at my story in <laughs> cavalcade of terror, and he fucking changed some shit. And I didn't realize that because I had skimmed it. What he changed. This is what's kind of funny. And again, when we say he, I guess we're talking about a third person here. We're talking about this Vincenzo Bilov. Because it's, this book is edited by another person. But he said he cleared the changes with Tony, so there's no telling who did what. But Okay, well, a little a background about the story. The story is about a guy who finds a dead baby on the road, and he drives around telling it dead baby jokes. <laughs> the idea is, like, where did dead baby jokes come from is the gag. And... I just seen the suite hereafter, and they had that long opening with the guy stuck in the car wash. So I thought somebody should do that opening scene of somebody stuck in a car wash, but that should be the, a whole movie. And what if they were stuck in there with a dead baby? <laughs> so that's the whole story: is a guy stuck in a car wash with a dead baby, telling it jokes. So <laughs> at some point, he's running out of jokes, and I was really tempted to see if we can get Tony G on the show. By the way. I don't think he'll do it. I mean, he, I they've tried so. to interview him in several places, and he's, he thinks there's no reason why people are angry. And so he doesn't, 
trust talking to anybody. He thinks he'll just twist his words around. When I sent him an email, oh, this is another thing. Before I discovered everything that was going on with this, he sent me an email that said, um, for people that worked with Undead Press, if you could send a testimonial about how good your experience was. <laughs> I was thinking about making a page for those. And, and then I read all this stuff, and I thought, well, that's pretty fucking shady. He sends that, but he doesn't say why. And he's hoping nobody knows why. <laughs> and he's going to stack up these testimonials. So I've researched all this stuff, and I sent back, uh, yeah, that's, I think that'd probably be a bad idea right now because it'd be transparent what you're doing. Is this damage control. And I said, as, as far as I can tell, you didn't fuck with my stories, but it's pretty conclusive evidence that you fucked with everybody else's. <laughs> so, you know, right now, I'm not going to give you a testimonial. And then I so, said, so, that's, so that's what's on his site right now. As well, far as I said, know, you didn't fuck with my story, David dude, James. That is, <laughs> dude, that is exactly what we talked about over here. Because I said to Amy, I'm like, that motherfucker is going to put on there Never fucked with my stories. <laughs> so I put at the bottom of the email, this email is private correspondence and it's copyrighted. No part can be reproduced, blah, 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 because I saw that on somebody else's email once. And then I put, you know, oh, because he, um, he put something online like, you guys just keep running and putting my stuff. Every time I say something, that's why I'm going to keep using the phone instead of emails because you guys keep putting what I say online. So I put that on my email, worried that he was going to use that as his blurb. <laughs> he sends an email to all his clients probably eight hours. No, not even eight hours, like four hours later, basically saying what I said. So he's, he, he's like the big Lebowski. He hears something on TV and it shows up in his vocabulary. And he's like, so, uh, you know, basically uh, many part of the, these emails can, are, uh, are not going to be uh, reproduced online and uh, I will be using the phone from now on. So that's sort of my fault that he is now calling everyone because I scared him or, or I inspired him to think Wait a minute, I can claim my emails are copyrighted and they can't put my shit online because that if you think about it is exactly why this thing went viral or whatever is because they put his emails up and when everybody reads his sarcastic emails you know saying oh look at you thinking you're a writer or whatever he said that's when people get furious and that's when people start copying and pasting and put it on their blogs if you just tell a story nobody gives a shit but when you put those emails up people get furious like they just got an email and that's exactly why it went nuts online so but i found the spot in the story by the way um so he put at one point he's telling a dead baby joke and he's the character said and this isn't even a great line i'm actually embarrassed of a lot of this but he says to the dead baby, what's worse than finding a dead baby in the backseat of your car? Realizing you fucked it. <laughs> then the character says, ew, that's nasty. And then he goes on to uh, drive to the car wash or whatever. Well, that wasn't good enough for these guys. They added the sentence, okay, even I admit that one went too far. Ooh, that's just... Well, like, what's the point of that? Exactly. Exactly. That's so fucking infuriating because the character would never say it because you already bought the fucking dead baby story, asshole. Why would you need to put that in there and say, well, I've got to distance myself from the dead baby stuff. So it's pointless and it's just like gutless. You know, it's a, it's a gutless move. And I guess I should be thankful that he didn't do what he did to the other girl, which was supposedly add rape stories. Apparently. 
she she he added a rape scene or suggestion of rape. Well, yeah, some suggestion of rape gave it a rapey feel. I believe. Is, a, is, is well, that's what. <laughs> when I was talking to my friend Nate about it, he's like, he sends me an email and says, "Did you check your story to see if that guy messed with it?" And I said, "Yeah," and uh, I already got a rape reference, so I think I outraped him. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, in the story you were just talking about, the dead babies could have been live monkeys. The guy could have been telling like live monkey jokes at the car wash and it just, you know, how many monkeys does it take to change a light bulb? That's going too far. You know, I would have been great if he if he went around and his policy was everybody gets a little rape in their story. (laughs) But apparently, you know, there's a rape limit and I had reached it with, with that joke and he had to put a little disclaimer like, oh, he went too far on that one. So that made me mad. And um you know, any sympathy I had for him or for those guys as far as messing with stuff. I feel bad about the guy, this Vincenzo, or Vincent Biloff or whatever, because he's, he probably didn't realize a shit storm was going to happen like that. But again, you, you got to clear it with somebody. I have no problem changing stuff. I've changed stuff for many people. <laughs> it's they your always, bread and butter. It's my, I turned $2 into 4 <laughs> And all you got to do is ask. And they, they just... The fact that they move forward is is just invites this kind of um, you know dissent. And it just makes people resentful. Why would he want to? It's just an easy fix. I mean, I've I've actually had people request that things aren't in present tense. When I did Pulp Modern, that story of mosquito bites, Alex Cezak's like, you know, I'm not a big fan of the present tense thing, and that's not an easy thing to change. You got to rewrite the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But I have no problem if that's the that's the venue. That's the house. You want to go to the guy's house. You know, you change it. As long as they ask and as long as the final version is given to you, then I'll change all sorts of stuff. I'll work with them all day. But just to discover it later, I can see why that, I, I can see why people are furious. And even that one sentence is enough to make me not want to send them a story again. Because why would you want that equated with your name, you know? Mm-hmm. So tell us about your current relationship with Tony G. <laughs> well, I was waiting for some royalties. I figured I wasn't going to, um, I wasn't going to make any, uh, I wasn't going to go off on him until I saw what, how the money turned out. I was concerned that whatever tactics he's using in, in his, uh, his Living Dead press, as far as editing, you know, maybe that's, the way everything works with him, you know. And he'd been, with all the phone calls, and he'd, he had said, you know, with, with royalties, my ducks are always in a row. I always, he knows his <laughs> metaphors. My ducks are in a row. Uh, everything, you'll get a um, record of all the sales, of all the copies I print. So I got a check the other day with a post-it note in there that said, Sorry, this isn't all the royalties. LOL. I'll send you another. I'll send you another check if there's a problem. So without going into how much or what are the amounts are, I said, yeah, there's a problem. You know, you. That's the reason I'm doing this <laughs> is to get is to get paid to do it. And um, you know that thing was selling. I don't know if you guys saw that it was on a couple of those. Uh, you know, those lists don't mean a whole lot, but it did end up in some of those Amazon bestseller lists. So mm-hmm. he moved several copies of it. And um, you know, he's selling it for 10 bucks a pop. 
So let's say he sells a thousand of them. That's a lot of money. So for him to say, Hey, uh, I didn't. And then the idea that he, <laughs> he made a mistake, but he still sent it. It's like you had, you wrote that note. Why didn't you just write another check? <laughs> you know, it's not like you discovered it and then sent me an email and said, Oh, I've sent the wrong amount. You actually put a post-it note in there saying, oops, sent the wrong amount, attached to the wrong amount. Yeah, LOL. LOL. So I sent him an email and I said, you know, if I'm, I want some sort of record. If you don't send me some sort of record, I'm going to have to, you know, and I try to be professional with the guy because I don't want people to think that. You don't want to be the difficult. Yeah, uh, like he's hard to work with or whatever. And I said, you know, but if, you, if you're going to just give me arbitrary post-it notes, I'm going to have to assume you're stealing from me. And that's a whole different ball game, you know. So when I said that, he flipped out. He called me like four times. And um, which he actually called me when I was in the shower. I, missed his, I have like a little skull and crossbones that comes up on my phone whenever he calls me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so then he sent me and he left a long voicemail. It was like, uh, hey, you know, you guys are uh, piling on and, uh, you know, I got a thousand people mad at me. Uh, I guess I got a thousand and one people mad at me. And, uh, you know, unless I get an apology from you... Um, then uh, I'm just going to have to assume that we don't talk anymore. And then uh, you're just going to have to get your, you get your royalties. You know, I'm going to send you the royalties. But, you know, Fortune 500 companies, they use, they use a phone, okay? Fortune 500 uses a phone. I use a phone. So, you know, unless I get an apology, uh, I, guess, I guess it's the last time we're going to talk. So. <laughs> wow. So after that, I mean, it gets an apology for asking for some sort of record about royalties. So. I've got people that I need to apologize to for, for 20 years ago. <laughs> he doesn't need he doesn't need an apology for something that he said he was going to do. So, but then about a day later, he sent an email and said, oh, "Look, I don't want to have a fight. I don't want you on my enemies list. Um, here is an invoice." <laughs> that means he's got an enemies list. <laughs> so he's like, "Here's an invoice." Um, and it, yeah, again, it would just look like somebody typed it into the email. And uh, oh, and also in his voicemail, he said, "You know, I don't, I don't do that kind of thing. It's a, it's a lot of flim flam." He kept saying flim flam. It's a lot of flim flam. I could make up numbers, and I could just tell you that. So how do you even know what I'm telling you? And I'm thinking, at least make the flim flam effort, dude. <laughs> yeah. So, um, was he implying he was actually a Fortune 500 company, or he was just trying to emulate? <laughs> one? That's that's the part I got stuck on. Did I, what did I tell you guys about? I actually was on the phone with him for in the in the early day, in the salad days when we were buddies for like two hours, I think it was. And uh, you know, I I know a lot of crazy people. I'll talk to a crazy person for a while, <laughs> and it wasn't um, it wasn't entirely unpleasant. You know, he just sounds like a crazy dude, and uh, I mean, he's got all sorts of. He loves Bigfoots. Big, Bigfoots are blowing up, man. Big, Bigfoots are blowing up. I don't use no paperwork. It's just a lot of flim flam. Bing, bang, boom. So, so is the book closed on your relationship with Tony G? Is this? Uh... What, are you, what are you asking me? What are you, you asking me? You got a, do you got an octopus story? Because I need, I need octopus stories. I, I need eight octopus stories. Not sure why eight. Eight sounds like a good number. I round it up just like I do my royalties. I'm going to talk like him for 48 hours. I don't fuck around with royalties. My ducks are in a row. But yeah, octopus. We'll do one about the 
We'll do it about the Occupy movement. We'll call it Octopi Wall Street. (laughs) 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 Put the fucking Octomom on it. That bitch is cocaine. (laughs) Here right now, I give you a good hearted punch in the shoulder, which ain't easy. I'm punching myself in the shoulder. I do the hard work over here. Two dollars and four dollars. Keaton, I want you to get off of Skype bang, and write that goddamn story, the Octopi Wall Street story. <laughs> Octopi Wall Street, it's gold, man. It's fried gold. No flint flam. Oh. Bigfoots are blowing up, though. No joke. Again, he's... I, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's more shit that I should not say. I, I have sympathy for somebody that gets attacked like that, but he shouldn't... You know, you shouldn't fuck with people's stories and not tell them. That's, I guess that's the bottom line. Don't be a target. That's what I tell people all the time. Yeah, and I mean, John, John Mayberry, he got a story from him. You guys heard about that, right? He went to a convention. He solicited a story from him. He said, help out some indie horror. The guy wrote about a, a killer garden gnome story for him. You know, that guy's huge. And he did him a favor, and he mangled his story, too. Jesus. It's not like a creative vision. It's he just universally will change it as he goes and he'll not for the better. Yeah, Mayberry's a big name. That's actually what I'm reading right now that we're in between books for the show. I'm reading a Mayberry book. So, um, yeah, that's interesting that you would take a huge name you could put on your cover and then piss him off just to guarantee you never get anything else. Yeah, he was trying to do a tie-in with, you ever see those gnomies, garden gnome zombies? It's some sort of product. And I guess they were at a horror convention and Tony G went up to him and said, let's work together. We'll come out with an anthology based on the Gnombies. And then he went to John Mayberry and that guy said yes. And uh, it was all supposed to happen, but something fell through with the actual product. They didn't want their name associated with it. They probably (laughs) got 20 phone calls and got scared. So now there's a book on Amazon called Gnomes of the Dead. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a real Bush League version of what clearly the idea was and um and that's where the mayberry story languishes now and it's been uh, i guess it's been messed with too so yeah it's hard to have sympathy when there's just no awareness of what you're doing is not acceptable or it's not even reasonable which is sad because the guy some of these guys like the guy who did his bigfoot tales there's some decent stories mark christopher i guess changed his name because he didn't want to be associated with them anymore, but there's a lot of guys who started out editing anthologies for him, put out a couple novels, and then, you know, the bridge was burned and they've moved on, and they all surfaced once this thing started. So that was all, that was an education reading about them. We'd like to thank you for coming on and giving us a little more insight into into the life of Tony G. It was definitely... <laughs> I'm going to be talking like that for days now. <laughs> All right, big thanks to David James Keaton for uh, coming on and, and shedding a little bit more light on um, this Tony G, uh, this Tony G and Gregorio uh, uh, situation. Um, I hope that the moment he got off with us, he started uh, writing that Octopi Wall Street story because uh, it's just too funny. Um, I got to tell you, there there are a few moments <laughs> on doing this podcast where you have just totally lost your shit with laughter, <laughs> and it's always great. And that that may have been about the hardest you've laughed on this show. Yeah, <laughs> and it wasn't even the um, the accent helped, but man, 
just that idea is hilarious, and you could tell that just came up, boom, right off the top of his head. <laughs> hilarious, hilarious stuff. Speaking of hilarious, you should roll in with Booked News episode. Should we give it its own episode number? Yeah, it's number six. Episode six of Skip Papersley with Booked News. This is Book News. I'm Skip Papersley. This week in Book News, best-selling and most-watched author James Patterson is setting up a scholarship in his alma mater, Manhattan College. Sixteen special students will receive $5,000 to attend this school next year. Patterson's inspiration for the scholarship comes from his own past. He always wanted to attend Harvard, but his principal sent his transcript to Manhattan College instead. Only students screwed over by school administrators are eligible at this time. Da Vinci Code author Dan Brown makes a rare appearance in an Arby's this weekend. When confronted with adoring fans, Brown began to speak in riddles. Witnesses say that he almost forgot his big beef and cheddar after saying, It's good mood food, or so the Illuminati wants you to think. Or, I'm thinking Arby's, but did the Knights Templar brainwash me into thinking that? And finally, buy my book. Now, the New York Times and bestsellers in fiction recap. In One Person by John Irving comes in fifth place. Richard Paul Evans' The Road to Grace has miles to go at number four. Bringing Up the Bodies brings a strong debut at number three. Charlene Harris's new novel, Deadlock, loses its grip on the number one spot to fall to number two. Finally, Ladies Be Murder in the number one spot in The Eleventh Hour by James Patterson. This has been Book News. I'm Skip Papersley, signing off. All right, once again, that was uh, what's rapidly becoming one of our most popular parts of the podcast is booked news with uh, with Skip Papersley. So thanks again to Skip for sending that over to us. All right, before we uh, let you folks go, we should probably mention what our next episode is going to be. So we were very um, generously invited by um, Jedediah Ayers. Um, to attend a screening of Flossed, Fuckload of Scotch Tape, the uh, film that's based on two of his short stories. Yep, so that's going to be, we're going there right after Memorial Day weekend, right? It's going to be, I think, Tuesday night we're heading into Chicago, and uh, we're going to go to the screening with him and hang out a little bit. So we're hoping to bring you some content from that, um, in addition to a little bit of a maybe you know kind of a sneak review at uh, at Flossed, which I'm really excited to see. And I remember we were talking about, I was like, dude, how do we get like a screener copy or something <laughs> from this guy? Yep, yep. And then uh, yeah, it's he sends us a message, goes, hey, we're doing the screening in Chicago. How do you, how would you guys like to go? Yeah, and we're like, uh, let's check our. Yeah, we're good. Let's go. Yeah, I didn't really have to think too much about that. Yeah, exactly. I was like, yes, we're in. So. <laughs> For anybody that might be new to the show, Jedediah Ayers, um, we've we've talked about him a little bit before. He he emceed two of our readings. He emceed the wrong kind of reading, and he also emceed uh, well, obviously uh, Noir at the Bar, which is in St. Louis, which he is the the ongoing host of. Um, he also co-edited the Noir at the Bar anthology with Scott Phillips. And he's um, just generally a, a pretty damn good writer and a, and a good guy. Yeah, Very much looking forward to that. So we are going to turn that into some kind of episode for our next our next booked podcast. All right. Well, uh, that'll wrap it up for our, our double book review slash uh, <laughs> Tony G and Gregorio indictment episode of Booked. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. I turn, uh, I turn $2 into $4.